Welcome to the Philosophy of Fighting Podcast with your hosts, Arturo and Anu. Okay, guys, today we have a special guest, Robert Deagle. He is a IBJJF national champion at the brown belt level. He's won a 12-time grappling industries champion. I'm sure maybe even more. I'm probably looking at old data. Yeah. But he's somebody that knows what he's talking about when it comes to jujitsu and fighting. He gave a seminar at my school, at a school I attend, Richmond County Jiu-Jitsu. Thank you to Zuli Burke for helping set this conversation up. But yeah, we're thankful to have you here, Robert. And I was looking you up and I saw you're from the New York area. And I mm. saw that you studied philosophy. So yeah. that's something that I'm kind of... That's what I also graduated with. So I just I kind of want to oh, start cool. out with that. Like, what got you into philosophy? So when I was very little around the house, my mom, she had studied philosophy in school. And she had a lot of books around the house, like The Myth of Sisyphus by Albert Camus, um, mm-hmm. which that was one of the first I read. I read that when I was like, I was probably like like 11 and I, I read that because I, I mean i thought it was going to be a mythology book i, I didn't realize it was philosophy <laughs> it uh, that book opens up so picture me like i'm like 11 maybe 12 years old that book opens up with the line the only serious philosophical problem is suicide judging whether or not uh, a man should take his own life like i'm like 12 and i read that <laughs> and but i was interested and in I, I kept reading it you know, she had Being in Time by Martin Heidegger, David Hume, I forget the name of his books, but David Hume, Rene Descartes, you know, lots of stuff just around the house. And then one of the other books that really got me into philosophy was Logic. It's actually a comic book. It's called Logic Comics. Um, okay. It's a really good comic book, which outlines the story of Bertrand Russell and Gottlob Frege and their pursuit of absolute perfection and mathematical understanding of the world and it's through that book that i was introduced to ludwig wittgenstein who i would say probably still is the philosopher that most interests me i think the other thing was just that i was just a very naturally curious um kid i i was always asking questions and i wanted to understand uh i i don't know i i think i still am like this like i'm very curious i go on deep dives of the most random things just because I think it's interesting, you know what I mean? But yeah, so that was that was how I got into fly. It was a combination of two things. One, having access to these books, because my mom just had them around the house. And two, that I was curious. I was curious enough to open these books up and read them and keep reading them. And, and a part of that was that they piqued my curiosity, right? After I encountered Wittgenstein in um, that book, Logic Comics, I got a copy of his one of his main books it's called the tractatus logical philosophicus and it is a very um confusing and very not self-explanatory book and i remember the first time i read it the way he writes the book it's really not intended to be read by like someone without a lot of background knowledge in philosophy and when i was about maybe 19 i was an undergraduate in school studying philosophy um i reread the tractatus and it really gripped me in a way that it hadn't before when i was younger Uh, goal initially with philosophy was to resolve many of the underlying problems that his mentor bertrand russell 
had not been capable of, of resolving. And Bertrand Russell viewed Wittgenstein as kind of like his natural successor. So Bertrand Russell identified this problem in a theory that he had, uh, which was called set theory. He sought out to answer the question, what is a number? And Bertrand Russell proposed a number is a number is a symbol representing all possible sets. So for instance, the number two is a symbol which represents the set of all twos, right? So for instance, you've got two chairs, two books, two, you know, whatever's, right? A couple. So, yeah, it could be anything, right? And every number is that, right? And at the end of the book, Principia Mathematica, which is the book where he outlines his theory, at the end of the book, he sort of like leaves this, he's like, oh, there's a little problem, but I'm sure someone's going to figure it out at some point. And the problem is, it's called the Barber's Paradox. Okay, if a number is a symbol for a set, and it, it, it's the set of all things, what is the, how, so for instance, like the set of twos is all twos, right? Where is the set of all sets? Because all sets are in that set, so it can't be in other sets. But then you, it, if, if a number is the set of all things, it's that set cannot be in other sets. So Wittgenstein started off trying to solve this problem. And this same problem was also outlined by a German philosopher at around the same time called Gottlob Frege. And Frege was much more concerned over the problem than Russell. Russell was like, oh, we'll get it done at some point. I'm not really worried about it. Wittgenstein was potentially more ambitious. Wittgenstein attempted to outline um, how can we distinguish between sensible and not nonsensical statements, right? And his initial thought was that what distinguishes a statement with sense from a statement which is, does not have sense is that a statement with sense uh, is a statement wherein all of the words are pictures of something in reality. So for instance, a, a notable one is if I were to say the cat is on the mat, right? Every word in that statement, uh, there's a pictorial relationship between something we can observe in reality. Whereas that you can, you can point to it, right? It's an observable phenomena, right? Whereas if I were to say something like fallout boy is an overrated band or whatever, <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not even saying they are or are not. Yeah. If I were to say that, where do we point out the the purported overratedness of Fall Out Boy in the world? Right, it's not it's not there to be pointed at. Therefore, there's no picture of it. Therefore, it's a nonsensical statement. And so, what you have to conclude from this is that all statements of aesthetics and ethics are nonsense, according to Wittgenstein. And this is a very complicated statement that he's making. And ultimately concludes that there is no solution to set theory and that even the picture theory of language doesn't get the job done because uh, it's too nebulous, right? So he concludes the Tractatus with this analogy known as the Wittgenstein's Ladder. So the Tractatus is written in a series of propositions and the most famous proposition is probably the last proposition. There's different translations of this, but the most cool sounding translation says, whereof one cannot speak, thereof one must remain silent. So whereof one cannot speak refers to like the, if it doesn't have pictures, okay? At the end, he also gives this analogy of a, of a ladder wherein you climb up the ladder, then at the end you kick it down. Because if you think about it, is a series of, by Wittgenstein's own definition, nonsensical statements where is the picture of like his statements of logic in the world they're not there right so if you look at it like from a purely logical perspective it's a book which refutes itself which is like 
what? Bertrand Russell read this book and he was horrified. He goes, this is not what I wanted you to do. I did not ask you to do this. Uh, this is the opposite of what I wanted. And Wittgenstein's goal had shifted very dramatically. He finished the Tractatus during World War I while he was a soldier in a prisoner of war camp in northern Italy. He had become a very religious Catholic. He was raised Catholic, but was largely not very religious. But then during the war, he very deliberately chose to become religious again. He bought uh, a, a copy of Leo Tolstoy's The Gospel in Brief. I, I have no idea what's in that book. I've never read it. I just know that's what he read. <laughs> Got him back into religion and for him specifically Catholicism. And his aim with the Tractatus almost became mystical at the end, where his perspective shifted very dramatically. I think generally speaking, this main underlying concern was the way in which language, our use of language and philosophical thought can mislead us into thinking that we're making sensible statements when we're not, or we're asking meaningful questions when in fact we're not. He eventually came to believe that the entirety of philosophy was a series of misunderstandings of the way in which our language suggests to us that we can like formulate questions. So he thought all metaphysical questions were essentially nonsense. How can we plausibly make ethical statements? How can we plausibly make uh, aesthetic statements, J statements regarding the nature of beauty or you know, value in the world, generally speaking, because he doesn't want to do away with that. He just shifts very dramatically how it is that we can plausibly make and justify these sorts of claims. Here's a good way to summarize it. One time I was on a philosophy forum online and someone posted a picture that a little kid had drawn with it's like a it's like a stick figure on top of a hill. There's a rainbow. There's a nice looking tree, right? Clearly drawn by a child, right? And it says, the world is beautiful. Stop talking about it and go look at it. And the person posted, this is Wittgenstein's philosophy in brief. And that's basically his philosophy. His life is kind of a tragedy because he spent his whole life essentially overthinking stuff. But he's trying to get us not to do that. He's like, stop overthinking stuff. <laughs> I love like the simple analogies. One of the best books I ever got was like 60 Second Philosopher. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite quotes, though, is uh, how anybody does anything is how they do everything. And so far, I think just from our initial interaction, I could tell you're just like a brilliant person that's definitely a deep thinker. <laughs> and, and so I find that fascinating. And that quote by Camus about the one serious philosophical problem and that suicide mm -hmm. is life worth living. To me, so much of everything boils down to that. And I think it's interesting that you partake in simulated murder, right? Like everything that's like in jiu-jitsu or whatever. Know, yeah. This simulation. I remember the first time I ever felt that was when I, I went bungee jumping mm. once. And it was in Costa Rica. I jumped off this bridge. Like I didn't want to, you know? But like I was with like a whole bunch of girls. Like we we're part of the same group. And then they all jumped. And I was like, I got to fucking jump now, right? Otherwise, right. I look weak. And I was just like, oh, and then obviously I did it and it was amazing. But I was like, oh, my brain thought it was going to die, but it didn't. You know, mm. I was like, is there like happiness that comes from this? I don't know. I find it fascinating. But do you think your deep analytical side, like how you look into things, is that what led you into this? Or was it more innocuous that you just liked athletics and you kind of got into grappling and fighting? So my path to jujitsu was kind of like it was happening 
kind of like at the same time as my interest in, in philosophy. Just because when I was younger, I got into like a lot of like, I don't want to say like a lot, but I got into some fights, right? So I had one fight where I must have been like eight to 11, somewhere around there. And I, actually, I could have even been younger. I'm, I'm not sure. But I remember the fight. And it was like, I actually won the fight, but it was such a scary experience. The whole thing was so scary. It was this like frenzy of like, it was in the fall and we were like rolling around on the leaves. Remember, like we were we were on the playground. <laughs> it was during recess, and you know, and I. It started by this kid was like bullying me, and he shoved mm. he shoved me, and then it just one thing led to another, and then it ended with me on top of him punching him in the face, and he started bleeding, and I, and I, I like kind of like freaked out, and then I got up and like I ran away, uh, and like I remember, I think like that kind of not that experience directly, but those kinds of experiences of like having fights as a kid, I I wanted to learn how to fight. And I, I first, st- I actually first started with boxing. My grandpa was a pro boxer, but then I saw BJ Penn on TV. Like I think one of those, you, you know, UFC reruns. It wasn't like a live fight. I actually thought at first it was fake. I thought it was like WWE. I was like, this is, I, I really thought it was not real. And then I realized, oh, this is actual, like, this is real. These guys are actually fighting each other. And I saw BJ Penn and and I just thought like what he was doing was like really cool because it seemed like he was, you know, like if you're a striker, no matter how much you're fucking the guy up, he could always still crack you, right? Whereas grappling, I saw, I remember I saw BJ Penn versus Joe Stevenson. He gets behind him and he just chokes him out. And I Love was like, that yeah, I was like, there's no chance to lose. You never, you know, it's, it's, you never give the guy any chance to fuck you up. And, you know, I think like if I play like armchair psychology with myself right now, right? When I was a little kid, I was in that fight. I won the fight, but I was still so scared. I guess because I was scared of like, what if I get fucked up, right? Because it start, it started with him bullying me, right? So, yeah, it's like, you know, this very primal fear, right? And then I saw BJ Penn able to control the guy. And I was like, oh, I want to learn that, right? So that's really how I got into, into jujitsu. And I think that... I think that another thing that really appealed to me, not initially, but when I sort of dove into jujitsu, was it's something that is very fun to systematize, right? Like in jujitsu, unlike in philosophy, we have very clear goals. In philosophy, what the goals are is half the problem. <laughs> Figuring <laughs> out, like, what is the point of this, right? <laughs> you know, whereas jujitsu, you don't have that. So, I think, in fact, for myself, my interest in jujitsu stems from almost the opposite side of my personality than philosophy. Whereas jujitsu is like, it's a very simple thing done with complexity, right? Whereas philosophy is like the opposite. It's a very complex thing I would like to do with simplicity, right? I think Wittgenstein and philosophy and that that sort of strain of thinking, there's a simplicity to it that that I like. I was researching you, so I saw that you like BJ Penn. And BJ Penn was my all-time favorite, right? Yeah. I think on Arturo, too, he's not, he couldn't make it today. But I loved BJ Penn. And I saw that you were also interested in, like, uh, Shinya Aoki and uh, Imanari. Mm. Yeah, so Aoki first, actually. So that's a funny story. So the, the reason that I liked Aoki was I thought that he was really, like, 
I thought he was like a fun performer. Like he had like these antics and stuff. Yep. I liked like the the rainbow pants. That he mm-hmm. wore. His costume, I, yeah. Yeah, I liked that it wasn't. I was never uh, like someone who was very interested in like macho man, alpha male, tough guy, blah blah. I it just never like appealed to me. I was too, I was like a very bookish nerd, right? But when I saw this guy Aoki, who was he was kind of like it's almost like he was mocking the whole thing, like rainbow pants, right? falling on his butt like i was like oh this guy is proving that you don't need to be like a an aggro tough guy to actually be a tough guy do you get what i'm saying yeah when in reality aoki is kind of like an aggro tough guy he's breaking guys arms and stuff he's giving them the finger you know what i mean but because <laughs> i was gonna say when you pick those three people like and i've done some research on imanari too and they were like yo why do you love leg locks and he's like i like hurting people like you pick three of the more like psychopathic fighters that i fucking I love so. though like <laughs> I wonder, like, do you bring that to yourself or is it just something that you happen to enjoy while you're growing up and watching? Not that they're psychopaths or that they're bad, but Mm. they definitely each have a unique style and they're loved and they're smaller individuals. You know, they weren't the heavyweights. Like you said, like non-typical fighter fighters, but they Mm. knew what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, I think each of them interested me in different reasons. Even Nari, my interest in him came later. That was after I had been doing jiu-jitsu for a few years. And okay. I just, you know, I got into leg locks and even Ari was like the guy, you know, and so that was how I got into him. But yeah, BJ Penn was the first one. He really like gripped my interest in it. And, but when I was in school, my focus was not on jujitsu, right? I was training probably more than I should have been. Like I was, I was definitely training a lot, but my focus was still more or less on, on school on even up until I was in the blue basement for a fairly long time, I was still thinking about, you know, philosophy, becoming a professor and stuff. And in a lot of ways, if you said to me right now, Rob, you could have your PhD and a tenured position at a really good university in a place you'd like to live, I'd have to think about it. Like, I might do it. I might do it, you know? But the reality of it is this. To actually get that, it's not very easy. It requires hard. Yeah, and it requires like a lot of sacrifice of the rest of your life in ways that I just wasn't willing to do. Like, I'm not interested in being, you know, an adjunct at a community college in Kentucky for, you know, 10 years. I, I don't want to do stuff like that, right? I don't want to, I don't know, it just didn't interest me. And, and I will say also, what if I like, don't feel like I have anything to contribute? You don't have a choice. You have to write. You have to get published. So I... I read, I still read a lot of academic philosophy and I'm not going to lie. A lot of it is just like, you just, I read this. I'm like, all right, you just wrote this because you needed to publish something. Like sometimes it's just dumb and sometimes it even gets really petty. So like, you know, I'm one of my favorite Wittgenstein philosophers is a woman named Genia Schoenbumsfeld and she has a book. I forget the name of it. Anyway, it doesn't matter, but she has a couple books and one of them, you know, I read and I really, really loved it. But there's one section on where she criticizes this other Wittgensteinian philosopher named D.Z. Phillips. And it is, I mean, it just turns into like almost like high school level, like <laughs> debating over like really dumb, like not very interesting stuff. I'm an adjunct at a community college. So oh, I, look at that. <laughs> Sorry. I, I do, no, no, it's fine. I have to do it. Like, I love doing it, but it's also whatever i ended up doing it it's my old alma mater but i feel like i have something to contribute i teach geography but sometimes i see like these other professors and like the things they talk about and 
it's the issue I have with a lot of academia is sometimes they say things for the sake of saying things and they say them in such a way that they have to sound smart yeah. or I feel like nobody really understands it. So mm. if you want to have an impact, you kind of have to speak the language of the world, you know? Yeah, and, for sure. And so if you're writing like this high end philosophy and it's like weird, the kids in your class might not get it, but now here you are talking to me and like you're sitting on the mats and you're telling people, people might be like, yo, I'm going to get that book, <laughs> you know? Mm. And like, you might have more of an impact on philosophy kind of going around about way, you know, as opposed to mm. doing it directly. Yeah. So one thing that academic, I'll speak about academic philosophy mainly, but I'm sure this is true for, I mean, I'm I'm a hundred percent confident it's true for many other fields as well, is that it's just so divorced from the actual everyday concerns of regular human beings. Yes. It gets, it gets to a point where we start asking, we start talking about the most like idiotic things. Like I would literally categorize a lot of academic philosophy as a stupid waste of time <laughs> like yeah. there there's a very famous academic philosophy paper i forget the guy's name but the the essay is called what is it like to be a bat and it's kind of an interesting essay it's about it's a it's about the philosophy of mind which is like if i remember correctly he makes the basic argument that to be a being it must be the case that it would be like to be you Right. So, for instance, if I say, what is it like to be Donald Trump? I can imagine what that's like. Right. But if I, uh, I if I try to imagine what it's like to be a bat, it's like it's not a thing. I, I, I'm, pro I am probably butchering that. Actually, I only read it one time when I was an undergrad. But like the main takeaway I got from it was like, bro, this is fucking so stupid like, <laughs> like this is like really fucking dumb <laughs> what's funny is like so a core of wittgenstein is that he's trying to convince you that essays like that one are just a stupid waste of time <laughs> and yeah i think it is i think it is a stupid waste of time but yeah so and you know, let me just say this real quick but the importance of it though is that so then a lot of people listen to this i'm i'm sure they're thinking okay then what is the point of philosophy at all wittgenstein thinks of philosophy in the same way that we might think about water or food right so you have to drink water you have to eat food he thinks of philosophy as almost being like a disease that some of us are afflicted with and we have to slowly tear it down piece by piece to understand that it's a load of bullshit nonsense. It's stupid. And like, but if you have that disease, if it's in the back of your head, it's almost like, how do we stop overthinking about life and just enjoy it? Right. He's trying to break it down. And if you're someone who doesn't overthink it, don't read this book. Don't read my books. <laughs> don't live your life. You know, he, he advised many of his doctoral students to go into other lines of work. He's like, become an engineer, become a doctor, go do something productive in life. And a few of them, he was like, okay, you should be a, a philosophy professor for whatever reason or another, right? So it's like, basically, this is how I think, and it's how I thought when I was a philosophy student, which is that philosophy is something that comes from overthinking. And it, it comes from wording questions that sound sensible for instance does god exist i think is a very sensible sounding question but and then that's a long complicated set of reasonings but like Wittgenstein ultimately wants us to stop asking that because it's a dumb question 
right? You'll ultimately, I'll, I'll boil it down. You'll never know. There's no like you can't get that answer. So stop asking the question and just choose to live your life in a way that ultimately it doesn't. I don't know. It's it, it's it's hard to like put this in words. But my takeaway from it is like it's choose to live your life in such a way that brings you satisfaction. I don't think Wittgenstein would have agreed with that, but that's that's my take on it. Right? That we want to stop overthinking and find ways to live our lives that bring us satisfaction. Now, of course, there's a second part to that, which is but what do we do about our relationships with other people? Because if it's just about satisfaction, right? Then what should yeah, stop yeah. us from like stealing, right? Or doing other bad things, exploiting people, right? That's a separate argument. That's a separate conversation. And I think that personally, it's very difficult to justify a, co- a coherent ethical system without some kind of reference to something. I don't want to say God, but something beyond the material because like I wrote about this on my stories a couple of days ago. I wasn't, a lot of people were like, but the church does bad stuff. I wasn't talking about the church. I'm not an advocate for the Catholic church or any specific religion. I just think that the world, what is the value in the world? If it is only material, this does not account for why art and religion move us so much. And I think there's something in that which at least to me suggests something non-material that perhaps we cannot gain direct access to, but which I think when we feel these suggestions, for instance, right, we have a natural inclination against hurting other people. Some people get past that, right? Some people, maybe they're sociopaths, they don't have it at all, right? But even if I can't logically justify why it might feel bad to exploit or hurt another person, I should probably like take that internal suggestion as like something meaningful. It feels wrong. If it feels wrong, right, for whatever reason, maybe there's something there. And this is a very deep can of worms because there's so many things that might feel wrong, which might otherwise we could justify not being wrong, right? Political debates and such. You know, some people might feel something's wrong. Some, some people might feel something is right. That's more of a, in my mind, a... A political conversation, and I, I think that if we are able to get philosophy out of politics, we can. Bo- I wish that we could boil things down, wherein politics turns into a conversation of advantages and disadvantages, because ultimately that's what it's all about, right? I hate this spurious conversation about what is absolutely true and right, bro. There is that doesn't exist. Exactly. Like, yeah, it's it it should be about us having a conversation about our values and what we want society to look like. And sometimes we will not be able to meet on that. And that's where diplomacy comes into place, right? We won't be able to find common ground. So instead, let's let's compromise. I'll give you something, you give me something, right? But yeah. And it's too complicated because there's also short-term interest versus long-term interest. Are you yeah. familiar with like that, the fable of the bees where they were talking about vices, right? And it's really the whole concept is people are complaining about all the negativity, but all the negativity is also what stimulates the economy and like keeps us moving, right? Like everybody has something that's pushing them. So I could be like, oh God, I hate Ferraris. Like why are people buying Ferraris? And I do hate that. Like sometimes I see an extravagant car and I'm like, oh, but then there is also the idea like, all right, that copper had to be mined. Like the steel had to be like welded. Like the engine had to be put together. Somebody's maintaining the tires. There's a whole industry around it. There's like a benefit, but it's always complicated. And then oftentimes the discussion isn't about, hey, let's 
figure out a good solution. It's let me be right, you know, and yeah. then versus like wrong, which is why I think we just have too many lawyers in politics where it stops <laughs> being about, hey, let's figure out what's like a fair solution as opposed to let me be right. Right. And I think like this ego is trippy. But there's one quote that I do love that I kind of came to my own conclusion when I was doing peyote in the desert, but I oh, yeah. <laughs> then read about it after where it was like before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Yeah, I've heard that before. I like that. Yeah. Right. That's it's just that's very Wittgensteinian, I think, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and it's um, just like the simplicity of like, all right, we got to do it. Right. Like, so even yeah. if we do figure out this nugget, like I remember I've met people that were like, oh, I live with the Mayans. And I was like, oh, my God, you got to give me some wisdom. You know, like when I lived in Mexico and then I would see them dancing to like Justin Timberlake. I was like, wait up. How are you? Like, shouldn't you be at a higher plane than us? You know, but maybe that like, is that is the higher plane, right? The higher plane is the higher plane is like if you like Justin Timberlake, liking truly, like enjoying Justin Timberlake. Yeah, yeah. I think like you know, it's like there's a Wittgenstein quote that I really like. I, I'm gonna paraphrase because I don't know it by heart, but it's been like the hero has to face death himself, which is that like. So the thing is, is like at the end of the day. You are what everyone says about you. You are not what everyone thinks about you, positive or negative. You are something else other than those things. There is a sense in which you can make the argument that you are those things to some extent, right? We are all, each of us, a million different things based on, you know, one person thinks this of you. And in his mind, you kind of are that. But viewed sort of internally, you are not any of these things. You are something that is... Like, in this, it, there's no simple way to capture or describe it, but you are not any of, of these individual things. And ultimately, at the end of your life, you will have to face death yourself. It's like what other people have said about you, I think, won't matter, whether that's good or bad. You could be the most praised person of all time or the most hated person of all time. You're still both equally dead. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And I think that if I imagine someone enjoying Justin Timberlake, this, you could be like, oh, it's consumerism, capitalism, the death of true music, right? And it's like, or they're just finding joy in like this music. Literally this last Friday, I went with my girlfriend to see Dave Chappelle. And then he brought out Justin Timberlake at the end. So yeah, okay. I was dancing and having a good time. But it's just funny. Like, I remember that analogy where, yes, yeah, sometimes when you think people are better than us, they're not going to do the same thing. But maybe they're doing the same thing just at a higher level of true appreciation and and whatnot. But yeah, I, I love your insights into a lot of these things. Thanks. I was curious. So you're obviously a philosopher. You think a lot. But I see that you're also giving seminars all over the world. Do you purposely choose to do seminars all over the world so you get to see the world? Like, is that something that excites you? Mm -hmm. And the second question I want to ask on top of that is I saw you gave uh, a seminar in India. Right? Yeah. I'm Indian and I know India is not necessarily like a huge combat culture. So I was curious. And but I saw so many people in that gym with you. Yeah. So yeah, if you could I, tell me a little bit about those things. Sure. Yeah. So the first one is I'll teach a seminar anywhere. I mean, it's my job, right, to teach jujitsu. And, you know, anywhere people want to pay me to come out to teach, I will go, you know. And I've traveled a lot and I, i've lived on three continents at this point and taught on three continents and 
there's nothing more to it than that. I mean, I don't really travel that much except if it's for teaching. But when I do travel to teach, if it's a cool place, I will explore it and stuff. Of course, yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't. I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't really travel that much unless it's for teaching or competition or something because you know, I'm just like, I guess I'm very focused on what I'm doing right now with jujitsu and whatnot. But yeah. And as for India, so I've taught three seminars in India, two in Bangalore, one in Delhi. And I have like, a lot of friends there. I mean, the first time I went there was early 2020, very, very early 2020, before the pandemic even really started. It was January 2020. And I taught at a gym called Institute of Jiu-Jitsu in Bangalore. And I've taught there another time. And then I've also taught at a gym in New Delhi called, fuck, I feel like an asshole because I'm forgetting the guy. The guy, he's such a nice guy. If it comes back to me later, I'll mention it. I feel like an asshole. Hopefully, he never watched. <laughs> I feel bad because it, it, it was really nice and it was a great gem. Yeah. Anyway, so he's the coach of you know, like the UFC guy from India, UFC fighter from India. I didn't know there was a UFC fighter in India. I'd be rude yeah. for him. Yeah, it's that. It's his jujitsu gym. So yeah, we'll hopefully pull it off. <laughs> Unshul Jubilee. Yeah. So his coach is the guy who owns the gym that I taught a seminar at in New Delhi. Yeah. Interesting. But, I really like those guys a lot. One of my friends from there, Piyush Pandey, he's the head coach at a gym called Strangle, I think is the name of his gym. But <laughs> I met him originally in Bangalore, and he now lives in New Delhi. And hopefully we're going to train together in Thailand when I'm, I'm going to be there for two months teaching. And he's going to come out there and we're going to train. And I'm going to try to get him ready for trials and I think he has potential to win trials. You know, I'm not sure what weight class he's going to do. He's a bigger guy. He could probably do whatever weight class. If Isaac Michelle's doing it, I'll be like, let's do, let's do another weight class. Let's avoid Isaac. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like I think he could win. He's really talented. He's really good. He's, he's very studious. A lot of those guys are really good. They just don't have the resources, you know, mm-hmm. like they don't have the money to travel to compete very often. So it's like interesting. Okay. Yeah. If they did, I think that they would be they would be doing very well because they're good. They're good. They just they just don't have the money to travel. You know, they're like one of the best that. countries in Asia. Because yeah, we got a billion people, right? So sometimes I'm like, come on, we got to <laughs> be able to like form a squad. But I know we yeah. had a couple of gold medalist wrestlers. Yeah, so there's like a little bit of grappling history that's like going on there. But uh, yeah, when I saw you went there, I was like, oh, that's exciting. Where where in India are you? Were you born in the U.S. or in India? I was born in the U.S., but my okay, family's from Gujarat, which is Gujarat. like in the okay. north. More okay, yeah, yeah. I, I I know where that is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I love India. I would say it's one of my favorite countries that I've ever been to. There are downsides, like for instance, like getting around in India. Bro, the traffic is psychotic. It's yes, scary. scary. Yeah. yeah, it's like I don't enjoy that, but other than that. I really love it. I I always have a good time and I always wish I could stay longer because it's like, it, there's just never a dull moment in India. Like, it's just so fun. <laughs> I love hearing that for me. That's that's amazing. So uh, you mentioned trials. You're training right now for the ADCC? Yeah. So I am doing European trials, not North American trials. Um, okay. Yeah, because I'll show you. This is uh, actually <laughs> first time I will have shown this on a podcast. <laughs> I have my Italian passport. Nice. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to open it because there's like sensitive information in there. But like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I have I have two passports. Right. I've got a U.S. passport and an Italian passport. But 
yeah, so because of that, I can do North American or European trials. And um, I'm planning on doing the first European trials. I'm not going to do the first North American, but if I don't win the first European, I will attempt the second North American and the second European, whichever comes first and whichever I win. Uh, but regardless, I am, if, let's say I win North American, I am going to still ask to officially represent Italy. I don't know if they'll let me, but I hope that they will, uh, because I'm more interested in representing Italy as an athlete solely because <laughs> there's no real deep reason. It's just that USA, we have somebody at this point. Like, I feel like Italy needs somebody. I just think it'd be cool. <laughs> like, I Honestly, yeah. that's the way I think, too. And that's why, like, I said that about India, because I'm American, like, you know, culturally, yeah. whatnot. But, yeah, India doesn't have that many successful athletes. So, like, if I was a great athlete, like, I'd want to give it some shine. So, For sure. Yeah. yeah. Same thing in any sport, like basketball. Like, you know, I was like, I want the Nuggets to win. They haven't won in a while. Like, I want yeah. some new people <laughs> to feel feel something. So is your life consumed by this? Like, are you watching everything you eat and you're training like three times a day like is this everything right now yeah i mean so i would say all that except for watching everything i mean so for instance i'm eating i ate arby's tonight <laughs> <laughs> no but i mean i am like watching my weight to make sure that i'm i'm like within a reasonable range uh, i weighed 155 today so i have to get okay. to 140 get to 145 and it's under i mean it's that's very easy so i'm not worried about it yeah i would say my entire life is consumed by training and preparing and also making money by teaching, right? I teach a lot still, but yeah, yesterday, today was a light day. I only did one session. I think it's important to have light days as well because physically your mind. So I did my morning set or my afternoon training session. And then I was debating doing the night session because I really wanted to, but I was like, you know what? It's not smart. I gotta, I gotta give my body time to rest as well because jujitsu is so fun that sometimes when you're training, it's like, bro, it's my favorite part of the day. Like, I just love training. Like, there's nothing that tops it. So, for instance, like, I'll, I'll give you a, a breakdown of my training uh, routine throughout the week. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, I train twice a day. And then on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I do strength and conditioning. It, it varies very dramatically. And I don't go super intense, right? Like, cause I'm training so much. Right. But I always do two times on the week, the assault bike, because I think that's really good for cardio. I squat, I deadlift and I do some upper body work as well. But I definitely, I, I think I emphasize the legs a lot more. But yeah. And I stretch a lot too. And then Fridays, I usually do one session or two sessions if I feel like it. I just, Friday, I take kind of like, I feel it out. Wednesday, I do only one. And then Sunday, I do one. And Saturday, I take fully off. And throughout the week, I'm always getting up at 8 a.m. to I spend like two, three hours watching instructionals, watching matches. You know, like I try to study as much as I can just to be aware of what's going on, just to try to like see like are there new things that I could try to work on and stuff. When I study, I try to not overload myself too, because I think if you I think two, three hours in the morning and then testing that stuff out that day is good because I know of some people that they'll study like five hours and then it's like, okay, are you remembering that? Like, I yeah, know exactly. How much smart. of it stuff? Yeah. Even two, three hours. That's a lot, dude. Every day. That's a lot, man. So, but I try to not overload myself mentally, right? It's a waste of time. 
you're just going to forget it, right? So, yeah. And then when I show up to the gym, when I'm showing up, showing up to training, I always do – I train very purposefully. I pick partners selectively based on – like, for instance, there's a guy named Garrett. If he watches this, you know, shout out to Garrett. Guy's one of my favorite training partners. He's super hard to leg lock. And he's just scrambly as fuck. And so it's like, he's really good for practicing. So I did a round with him today where, you know, it's just really good to practice like holding someone down. Like you've got to get him down and then he's going to, you mount him, but he's going to make it be, he's going to turn it into a back, you know, where you have his back, right? And then he's going to turn that into something. And it's just, it's nonstop movement. And you always have to constantly be one step ahead controlling it, right? And they're just really good. It's really good training, right? He's a guy that I get good rounds with. There's a guy named Gabe. Shout out to Gabe as well. <laughs> Where like, bro, he's so he's he's the strongest 66 kg guy I've ever met in my life. And like, he's and he's just he's good practice for you're gonna go against those super strong dudes, right? I'm competing in Europe where you've got like Russian guys that are crazy yeah, fucking yeah. strong. You know, like you've got, there's a guy from Finland in my bracket named, he, I, I don't know if he's going to do it, but usually he does. His name is Thomas Kokonen. Like, bro, the guy is, I never rolled with him, but just visually, he's never won trials, but he's always like doing well. He's strong as fuck looking. <laughs> yeah. So like, you got to be ready for those really physical guys, right? So yeah, I always pick training partners accordingly. And, and then I like to pick some visitors too, just as like, I like to have a few rounds where I'm like, I don't know. What's going to happen? I don't, is this guy going to be really good or is he going to suck? I really don't know. You know, so like it, it was simulates in a sense like a match because yeah. most matches you've never rolled with the guy. So you have no idea what you're getting into. Yeah. I was uh, stalking your Reddit and uh, <laughs> I, I, I saw somebody made a comment like, yo, I'm, I'm headed to Austin as a hobbyist. Does it make sense to go in and the B team or whatever? Like, can I go to the gym and potentially roll with some people? And I saw that you were nice. Like, Hey, if you're there for a few days, you know, and people like you and the way that you trained, then sure, somebody will grab you. And yeah, I always tell Arturo and other people, like, that's my favorite thing about this sport, mm. that it is like a little bit of a team sport. And no matter how hard I try, like, I'll never be able to like shoot baskets with like LeBron or something. But <laughs> yeah, I could yeah. buy a ticket to Austin, you know, and I could hang out at the gym and maybe get one roll as long as you do the right thing. And there's something so special about that. Yeah. And, uh, I think the people that you shouted out, like Gabe, and who was the other person you shouted out? Garrett. Garrett. I think it's so cool, too, because if you win ADCC and like a championship, like if that was one of my training partners, I'd be like, I got like a little piece of that. Like, you know, yeah, like yeah. I, I, I helped you with that, like, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And so, yeah, yeah, like we kind of all go together. I think that's special. To sure. segue a little bit on that. Was there a part of you when you were watching the last UFC and like Sean O'Malley won where you were like a little like amped where you're like, oh, I, I heel hooked him once. Like, you know, like, was that, a, <laughs> is that like a cool little pride thing? I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's so funny. I think it's so funny that people keep asking me about this. Like, OK, so there's two sides. To this. The first side is that it's like I only watch that fight. Because I knew if he won, people would ask me these kinds of questions. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I don't even watch that much MMA. Yeah. The second thing is, I know Aljamain Sterling. He's also from Long Island. And I yeah. like Aljo a lot. So I was, I was definitely rooting for Aljo. And I actually really thought Aljo was going to win. Because I've grappled with both of them. And Aljo is super tough, man. And I just thought if Aljo got him down. But what I did also think, I was like, look, 
I think maybe he's a bad style matchup for Sean because Sean's like a sniper with, again, this is like, I'm not an expert on, on striking, right? But it just looks like he's so precise with how he lands his shots. And I was like, I don't know. Like sometimes Aljo, again, not a striking expert. Sometimes it looks like he clearly wants to just get the guy on the ground, right? And I don't know. I had some bad feelings for him going into that fight. He might get fucked up. Like, I don't know. He might get hit with a shot and get put down. Lo and behold, that's what happened. And like, yeah, it, it is what it is. I mean, I don't think it has any bearing upon my two. I had two matches with Sean where I, I heel hooked him two times. I don't think it has any bearing on those matches. I think that like, I think it's funny how hard a time people gave Sean or the fact that he lost. Did like, they? Yeah, people busted his balls real hard. And it's like, the thing is, he lost to a full-time jiu-jitsu competitor. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. a different sport. You know what I yeah. mean? I mean, like, I have been joking at B-Team, so I said this today. I said, I think I may be the only member of the team who has uh, a win over a current UFC champion. So technically... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I didn't mean any disrespect by no, the show O'Malley or Alex yeah, or anything. I just thought it's like a... It's a cool thing to have. Like anytime I'm only like a blue belt, right? So yeah. like any anytime there's a white belt, like I'm like, I want to beat him and then I want him to become a champion. Just so like <laughs> I could have beat sure. him. I'm like, yeah, how did I want before? Like it's just it's fun, but I think it's amazing. And Mighty Mouse said something interesting too, where he was like, MMA is unique, where it's almost easier to be a champion because you're grappling against straight grapplers, right? And boxing, you're boxing against straight boxers. Right. But, but you could sneak in, right? Where your grappling could take down somebody that is just a striker and like you could get the championship. And so I think that's what makes, I think some people took it as he was disrespecting MMA, but I took it as like, it's just the ultimate game of rock, paper, scissors, you know? Yeah. And you could have that championship at one point. And so it's kind of just, it's fun to see that, you know, like that. And plus that he's human, right? Yeah. That they're all kind of human. MMA fans are such trash. I mean, Demetrius Johnson is like literally arguably the best ever. And to, yeah. he's, to think he's putting down MMA is so dumb. Like the, maybe when the greatest of all time, or at least one of the greats, yes. you know, says something about the sport, we don't have to agree with him, but we definitely should listen to what he has to say. And yeah, I, I love Demetrius Johnson. I've always really liked him a lot. Like I've always liked his like attitude about the sport and like, um, I don't know. I just really like him a lot. I got to watch him live in Singapore once. One of his fights, his second fight against Adriano Moraes. I was in the stadium in Singapore. It was cool. Yeah, it it it, it was a, a very different experience watching it live than watching it on TV because I feel like watching it live, it was more about like I couldn't see the fight as well. So when when Demetrius actually won, I couldn't even see it that well. I I, I had a really high seat. It was a pretty good seat. But I couldn't see the strike that well that he hit Adriano with. But the fan reaction was wild. Like the fans went nuts in the in the stadium. So, yeah, it was cool. I think I remember that it was like a unique combo, and it's and I heard the Asian fans are quite intelligent. Like well, from, it, from it, the it pride days. Yeah. So this was a so in the stadium, the fans that were really going nuts weren't even Asian fans. They were Americans and Brazilians. So like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So the Americans, these are probably Americans that either are visiting or live in Singapore, and they were you know all cheering. They're all like USA, USA for DJ. Interesting. And, and then there's a lot of Brazilians that live in Singapore. And they were like, ooh, vamos hair, ooh, vamos hair. They're yelling. And then we just kept like yelling at each other. And like, 
I thought it was fun, honestly. And like, I'm sure probably the Asian fans outnumbered us, but you wouldn't know it based if you were there, based on just hearing the chants. If you were in the stadium. yeah, and, and DJ winning, just for fun. Two questions. Hmm. You said you don't watch that much MMA. But... I, I watch probably like a very casual fans level. So I watch it sometimes, but I'm not like a hardcore fan. If you ask me questions from about 10 years ago, I was a hardcore fan then. Okay. Like, yeah, Pride and all that stuff, especially Japanese MMA. Like, I was a very big fan of that. But current era, I'm I'm pretty casual. But okay. Yeah, I know, like, the champs and stuff. Say they're two different sports, though, grappling and MMA. Do you ever watch MMA and go, oh, I could take that? Or is it so different you feel as though... Only when I watch people who I'm like deliver. I've never like randomly turned on an MMA fight and been like, "Wow, like that." The jujitsu is really good there. But if I seek out, like, I'll watch Demi and Maya fights or Gunnar Nelson fights or Husamar Pagliari's fights, yes, or, or Imanari fights or whatever, where I'm watching it because I want to see the grappling that they're doing. But I've never, yeah, I've never flicked on a. MMA fight, not knowing who the fighters are, I've been like, whoa, that was really good. Like, good enough to, like, influence or make me mm. want to try it out, right? Which I, I watch a lot more jujitsu. When I watch jujitsu, that happens all the time. I'll see stuff, I'll be like, whoa, okay, I gotta try that out. Like, that was cool, you know? But not so much in MMA. MMA grappling is pretty, like, it's pretty simple compared to sport grappling, like jujitsu, right? Because obviously, half the stuff you do in, you know, ADCC rules jujitsu, it's going to get you fucking knocked out if you try it in MMA. So you yeah, can't. Exactly. You know, it's simpler because it has to be, you know, which, you know, also makes it, I think, a little bit less interesting because I like the weirdness. <laughs> I, I think it's fun, which you see in MMA, but just not as much. Yeah. Yeah. And when you do see it in MMA, it is special. But For yeah, sure. I, yeah. I, I, get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know. We live in a world now where. I think we, me and Arturo, we're talking about this. Like, we don't want to call them circus fights, but it's like interesting, like all the potential possibilities. And yeah, Demetrius Johnson going against that guy, Bradley Martin, like, you know, like the weight yeah. disadvantage, like if they rolled, like I was like, I'm excited by that type of stuff. Like, I'm like, oh, I really want to see that. Like that to me is more interesting than, I don't know, two traditional competitors. You know what I mean? Because like, I want to see the proof that like the, the jujitsu works against a lot of the people and just showing the general public like, hey, this is like a little bit of magic. Do you ever have any urges to do stuff like that? Not really. I have nothing to prove to Bradley Martin or people like him. Like it, now, now I say that, but also if Bradley Martin hit me up and was like, you want to do a grappling match with me? Like I would definitely do it because obviously it would bring me a lot of followers. So like. I would do it, but I'm just not, I, I wouldn't seek that out per se, you know, and I would do it, but it also wouldn't interest me. Like if I went against Bradley Martin, like, bro, I'm heel hooking him like under 30 seconds. He stands <laughs> no like, Yeah, like I would fucking end him, right? I think even in a regular fight, I would fuck him up, right? Like, bro. But he's you, 260 pounds, bro. bro <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I don't care how much, I don't care how jacked you are. If you don't know what backside 50 50 is, I'm going to break your shit. Like, yeah. You know, like, yeah, I, I think I would fuck him up. Like, I think I would fuck him up in a regular fight. I think I would fuck him up in a jujitsu match. I mean, I just he's, think he, he's big. If he teed off on me while I was trying to fuck his leg up, you know, if, if, if as I was trying to get there, he landed a shot in my head. If it's on a hard surface or whatever, like, yeah, of course that could happen. But I just think that if you don't know jujitsu, I, so for instance, like 
I have had one street fight since I started jujitsu. I talked about it on the Simple Man podcast. It was like fighting a baby. It was like fighting really? a child. Yeah, it was like fighting a child. Like they, it was so easy. Now, granted, that guy was not a two sixty pound bodybuilder, but yeah. I stand by. You know that if I can, I'll just go back to that fifty and break your sheds. Sure, fights over. I think I think one of the most famous types of street fights like this was Roger Huerta. He fought. He fought was a awesome. linebacker. He was like I've an Oklahoma State linebacker, and yeah. Huerta was probably weighing one seventy, and the other guy was probably weighing like two fifty five or something. And they just yeah. like picked him and fucked him up. But <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I just also bring that up because yeah, it's a social media thing. It's like a money thing. It's like an entertainment thing. But yeah, like sometimes I wonder. It's like, are we doing stuff not to just get paid per se? You know what I mean? Like, but sometimes it's like yeah, you get followers, it just helps your career. So it's like, you and gotta, it's maybe fun, yeah. but. You've got to think about that. If, if you're a jujitsu person and you're trying to make a living in jujitsu, how good you are is actually a lot less important than how many people want to learn from you. And one of the base things you need to accomplish if you want to get a lot of people to learn from you, sorry, if you want to get a lot of people to want to learn from you, they first have to know you exist. Right? Yeah. If they don't know you exist, there's no chance they're going to want to learn from you. Now, them knowing you exist in and of itself does not mean that they're going to want to learn from you necessarily, but it is like a, a basic prerequisite feature of that, right? They have to know who you are. And then after they know who you are, you want them to be interested in what you're teaching, right? And a part of that should be demonstrating that what you're teaching works either by competing yourself or by developing students to compete, right? And that doesn't even have to be your focus, but I think you should do some of that exactly i had a friend he was visiting a gym in georgia and he kind of smashed everybody in the gym and then he's like the head instructor smashed him and he's like i was trying to be respectful but i was like i think the coach wasn't doing it to be mean to you i think he just needed to reinforce to his students that he also knows how to do this stuff you know and and prove that it works but yeah Mm -hmm. i think the demonstration is interesting and that's why we love the quintet format like, you know, so you could see these like dynamic matches and the team atmosphere and how it goes. Uh, I also had a question. I saw this on Reddit. I thought it was a good question. If you have one hour to teach a newbie some basic jujitsu for fighting, self-defense, whatnot, what do you tell them to focus on? Like, what do you try to teach them? I mean, the first thing I'd ever teach somebody is going to be dependent upon what they're interested in. In what their goals are. Well, maybe they don't know what their goals are. I don't know. I probably, I mean, one hour is not enough to teach anything really that good. Like I would probably just teach them basics, the basics of like guard retention and maybe the basics of like a few pin, like simple pin escapes. Because like in one hour, there's not really much you're going to accomplish, but that's like a basic thing that pretty much everybody needs. So yeah, I'd start with that. Or maybe just run through like, what are all the basic positions and transitions that you can do like what is a pass what is a sweep what is side control what is a triangle choke etc you know like yeah maybe maybe i would do that okay what if it was for self-defense somebody that's timid that gets bullied and he's like yeah would would you give him a tip or would you feel even giving him a tip would just probably end up hurting him because now he um, knows something and doesn't know how to properly use it well if you already paid for the private then i have to teach him something so yeah I would probably teach him for self-defense. I'd probably teach him just like a really simple like takedown and then just like uh, a way to 
neutralize someone in like a half guard or something like that. You know, so, so something something simple, but that I think is effective at the same time. Yeah, for self defense, I would probably show that. But I mean, I think ultimately the best self defense is running away and like not getting involved in situations where you need to fight somebody because at the end of the day i don't care how good your jujitsu is if you get into a fight someone pulls out a knife or a gun or his friend has a knife or a gun you're fucked you know yeah like you just don't want to be in those situations is the best self-defense that's literally what everybody says that comes on. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's true, because we know it, right? If you're a jiu-jitsu black belt or serious competitor, you know, okay, in a one-on-one fight, we can fuck up most people. But there's no guarantee. A one-on-one fight with unarmed combat, right? But that's not a guarantee, right? You know that. Yeah, yeah. If anything, jiu-jitsu makes you, I think... People are like, oh, jiu-jitsu will make you walk around without fear. It's like, bro, no. You realize at the end of the day, even more so that you're like fully mortal, right? All it takes is one dude pulling out a knife or a gun or his friend doing the same thing. And all of your jiu-jitsu, unfortunately, goes out the window. That's just that's just how it is. So you have to, in self-defense, like, bro, I, like, for, okay, here's a funny, here's like a funny like little thing that I thought about. So yesterday... I was driving and I'm in Austin, Texas, right? And for us, this guy was driving like a total idiot. And I thought about like, I just, he was, he almost hit me. And I was like, I almost like, like gave him the finger, right? Up in New York, people do it all the time, right? I would give people a finger all the time. They give me the finger. Like nobody cares, right? (laughs) But in Texas, they have guns down here. So (laughs) I was like, maybe I shouldn't do this. And I I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't give him the finger. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, you know what? It's probably better not to, right? What if this crazy person pulls out a gun and blows my brains out? The odds of that are very low, very low. But here's a funny story. I actually did have years ago, I was in Long Beach, it like, you know, right by the end of Nassau County going into Queens, right? I used to teach at a school there called Long Beach Jiu-Jitsu. And on my way there, this fucking dude was like on drugs or something, nearly crashed into me. I, I give him the finger. I park my car. He gets out of his car. He's this like little dude and he's like screaming at me. And I'm like, bro, get the fuck away from me. I'm going to fuck you up. I'm not going to lie. I was worried the dude had like a knife or something, but I kept, you know, kept my cool. And I was like, dude, get the fuck away from me. Like, I will fuck you up. Right. <laughs> I came outside and the dude had keyed my car. Right. Oh, so, like, yeah. He got the last <laughs> laugh. Yeah. And uh, I filed the police report, but they never, they never found me. You know, and like, yeah, it is what it is. It, it, you know, it's it's a lesson in like, even if you know, uh, even if like at the end of the day, like most of the time you do something like give someone the finger on the road, nothing happens. It's probably best to not make a habit out of that because stuff like this can happen. So you know, it's a learning experience. I think we went full circle because it reminded me of that Camus quote. Like, you know, it's life worth living and like suicide and suck. Yes. So it's it, like, yeah, that might, have, that might have a gun. But at the same time, is you giving him that finger really going to give you anything? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, gives, it gives like very superficial satisfaction, right? You feel good for a second, right? But a microsecond and then it's. Yeah. Yeah. It's stupid. It's stupid. A hundred percent. It's dumb as fuck. Yeah. Similarly, it's best to not like, you know, like I was talking to a friend of mine at B team, Damien, about this, where. There was this guy on the Simple Man podcast in the comment section, just like, I mean, it was such a weird 
argument. Like he was so mad that I dropped out of grad school and he was like kind of <laughs> shitting on, I don't even, I really could not even tell you what this guy was talking about. And I kept kind of going into it a little bit with him. And then Damien's like, why are you arguing with this guy? And I was like, no, I guess you're right. This is, this is pretty stupid. And I just stopped. Cause he's like, it's a waste of time. I get dumb people that argue with me about some of the stupidest things ever. Right. So here's a, here's a funny one. I won a tournament one time. I won ADCC Singapore. I got a, a gold in the 77 kg division. Normally I compete 66, but I didn't want to cut weight. So I did 77. So I had a guy come into the comment section and said, that's great. But have you won the ADCC absolute yet? And I was like, ah, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, and as if like, I'm a 66 kg athlete. No, no one has ever won the ADCC absolute that weighs in at that weight class. And then, I, you know, he DMs me and he just starts this weird ass argument. And I'm in the, I was actually on the way to Korea to teach and I'm sitting there and I'm arguing with him. I'm like, you know, fuck you too, idiot. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this is actually very stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just stopped. So I was like, this is so dumb. This guy is probably some dude in his mom's basement with nothing else to do with his time. And I'm sitting here engaging him, giving him what he wants. Because I feel like a part of it is like, it is kind of fun to get into these. Like, this yeah. is part of it that's fun, right? Like, someone's like, fuck you. You know what? Actually, fuck you. <laughs> it's so dumb. I had a lot fun. more fun with that stuff before I knew there were so many bots. Because now I'm just like, am I just arguing with somebody that's just like in the ether, you know? Like, so what's the point of it? But like when it used to be real people like 10 years ago, I felt like, yeah, maybe, yeah, you get like a little verbal jujitsu and have a good debate and you each learn something from it. But really, not even not even a debate. This is pettier than that. This is like he insulted me and I insulted him in like superficial, petty ways that, that it's not a serious debate. It was like. You're dumb looking. And I was like, well, you're ugly. <laughs> you <know>? like, <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes that's just hilarious. At least it's making me laugh now. Cause I also wonder about that sometimes, like philosophically and like the utilitarian sense of somebody does something to you that's clearly like dickish, like a troll, right? Like, hey, but did you yeah. win absolute? So that upsets you. But what if it makes a few hundred people laugh? Like, does that offset of like, well, they're just making us laugh. So is that the point of it? Like, there's like a well, benefit of. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, I I don't really think about stuff like that. Like, I, when I think about like ethics, I don't, I'm not a utilitarian. I'm more interested in like, if you wanted to categorize me, you can call me like a deontologist, I guess. But like, yeah, like, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe. I mean, at the end of the day, probably shouldn't overthink it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think this was a great conversation. Is there anything that you'd like to promote? Like talk about yourself? If anyone's interested, I have instructionals on my website. The link is in my my Instagram bio. I have a Patreon as well where I come out with content almost every week. I I try to be pretty consistent with that. And yeah, if you're ever in the area when I happen to be teaching a seminar, if you want to come by, I'd be more than happy to have you. I'll be in Georgia teaching. And then Sunday, I'm, I'm back in Austin teaching. And then I go to Europe. I'll be teaching for two weeks in Switzerland. And then I'll be, I have a seminar in Slovenia. And I think I'm about to book a seminar in Naples, Italy as well. Then after that, I'll be in Bangkok, Thailand, and I'll be teaching there. And I may also have a seminar in Bali, Indonesia before a tournament there 
as well. And I'm sure I'm going to have other things in Asia. They're just not booked yet. Amazing. Super global traveler, philosopher, right? Like great overall person. I appreciate you joining us. Do you just have like a final piece of wisdom that you would give to maybe some jujitsu students and or teachers, coaches? Buy my instructions. (laughs) Beautiful. Rob, I appreciate you taking the time to talk really and as soon as we share it we'll share it with you and uh thanks man yeah everybody support robert one of the great guys in jiu-jitsu so thank you man i appreciate it yeah no worries thanks for having me on yeah cool thanks for listening to the philosophy of fighting podcast if you have any questions suggestions or if you would like to fight us send us a dm on instagram at philosophy underscore fighting